The wheel of time turns and ages come and go, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the Third Age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the mountains of mist. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the Wheel of Time. But it was a beginning. The Wheel of Time turns and podcasts come and go. Welcome back to Wattcast, a Wheel of Time book and watch club. We are reading through Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series and watching Amazon's Wheel of Time TV show. I am Caleb Wimble, and with me are Dan Katinsky. Hey, everyone. And Keely Frank. Hello. Sadly, Katie will not be joining us this season as we get into reading The Great Hunt. She sends her best wishes as she takes a very well-deserved sabbatical. She plans to be back for the next book later in the year. We will miss her lots in the meantime. You can find us, meanwhile, at wattcast.net and support the show at patreon.com slash wattcast. Your support means a lot. Even $2 at the Two Rivers tier helps. Join us on Patreon at the $5 Tar Valentier and you'll get access to special bonus episodes, where most recently we talk about things like The Witcher. You can hear that episode uh, by subscribing now on, on Patreon, and you'll get access to our past bonus episodes as well on things like uh, related fantasy series like Dune and Wheel of Time short stories, graphic novels, and spinoffs. Email us questions, comments, and corrections via contact at wattcast.net with the subject line questions. We'll answer them here on the show. For those unfamiliar, The Wheel of Time is an epic fantasy series begun by Robert Jordan and finished by Brandon Sanderson. We have read through the first book, The Eye of the World, and we watched the first season of Amazon's TV adaptation. Today, we are digging into book two of the series, The Great Hunt. And today, we're going to start things with a big chunk. We're going to be uh, talking about the prologue and chapters one to ten. Uh, and after after this episode, we'll be going back to our normal uh, five chapters a week schedule if you're reading along. So uh, getting right into it in the prologue and the shadow, we start out with, uh, uh, as with the first book, a perspective of a different character, the, a dark friend called Bors, though I think we know that's not his real name, meeting in a super secret evil society of dark friends where Baalzaman shows up and implants orders in their minds, instructing them to watch out for our main characters, the protagonists, uh, the, the Taviran, who are to be brought under the Dark One's thrall. Then, meanwhile, we uh, we shoot back to um, to Faldara, where we left off things with the party at the end of the Eye of the World. Rand is training with Lan. We get, we get uh, you know, the wind blowing down from the mountains and some weird things going on. The weather that almost knocks Rand off the tower, um, slightly injures him in, in this, uh, in this uh, fencing. He still hasn't left yet, which he said he was going to at the end of the first novel. Uh, obviously isn't ready to say goodbye to everybody, but then, right as he's maybe once again working up the will to leave, the Omberlin seat shows up. The leader of the Aes Sedai arrives at Feldara. Uh, Rand tries to get out of there before the Omerlin can find him and gentle him, which is what he assumes is going to happen. Uh, a bunch of um, humorous shenanigans with clothing happen, and then the gates are locked, can't get out, uh, and uh, the city is ordered shut. Keeps trying to get out, and then he um, there, there's like a thing, there's this ongoing minor plot thread where he insults Matt, Loyal, and Perrin, trying to distance them from himself to, you know, protect them from him being the Dragon Reborn, which we, uh, which, or he discovered um, at the end of the, the first book, a 
Gawain tries to hide him in the dungeons where Padden Fane is imprisoned, which is where we get to see that Padden Fane is still around and uh, getting worse again, despite Moraine's attempts to heal his mind, I think. Um, and we start, you know, there's some dark whispering down there. A, a whole bunch of shenanigans about hiding Rand in different places, which is maybe uh, maybe kind of a way of giving us a tour of Faldara and all the different characters as, uh, as Rand is then spirited away, this time and hidden in the women's quarters. Uh, Moraine, uh, we then switch to her. She gets briefed on events down south. The great hunt for the Horn of Valer has been called. There's fighting on the Ameth Plains. Uh, Moraine... It's called to give account. We, we got a lot of what happens in these next couple chapters in season one of the TV show where it took place in Tarvalon, where Moraine was sort of called to account for her absences and her actions. Here, the court has sort of come to Valdara. We get introduced to Leandrim, our, our favorite uh, red, we, red Aja we love to hate, finally shows up into the novel, though she's been a prominent character in the TV series so far. Things play out similarly. We learn behind closed doors that despite their outward, you know, distance that that Moraine and Swan Sanche are very close and still, um, you know, they, they were childhood friends and more and uh, have been plotting all along together um, to bring about the prophecies of the dragon. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, Varen Sedai, a brown Aja, like sort of the bookwormy ones, uh, discovers what's going on, gets in on this. Um, there is an attack by Trollocs that gets Padden Fane out of the dungeons. They leave a bunch of bloodstained writing. Plot is propelled into action. A lot of people die. Things similar again to the end of season one of the TV show we get here. And Padden, Padden Fane and the Trollocs and the Fades get away with the Horn of Valir. Uh, and then um, basically where we are left with things is a party parting where um, where Nynaeve and Egwene are going to go with Moraine and Lan and the Amarlin seat to Tarvalon to begin their training as Aes Sedai. And the boys, uh, Rand and um, and Perrin and Matt and Loyal, are going to go hunting for the Horn with like with a uh, you know one of the the Shyanaran troop of soldiers led by Ing Ingmar, who's leading uh, by by Ingtar and, and mm -hmm. Uno, and guided by the sniffer Huron, who has a strange ability to smell violence, and they're following trail of these. Um, escaped dark friends and, and Trollocs down across the countryside until a very grisly scene. And that brings us all through all 10 of the first chapters, uh, which, you know, I thought read really quickly and propulsively mm -hmm. got us right into the action. And, and again, it was a lot of stuff that we had sort of covered in season one of the TV show, just in a different bit of a context here. Uh, what, what did you, Akili and Dan... Uh, what, what, what was your, what, what did you like about these chapters? What stood out to you? What stood out to you the most uh, as you were reading them and, and, and your first thoughts there on, on the second book? Yeah, I like that the action just started like right away. Um, you know, mm -hmm. we didn't have to waste a couple chapters of like setting up the Shire before stuff started going crazy. Um, I really like that all of the characters were kind of just coming back into the story because, you know, we took a couple yeah. weeks off. And so in that time, I've read a bunch of other books. So getting mm -hmm. back into it, be like, oh, yeah, that person exists and that's who that person is. And then. Um, and usually Jordan does a pretty good job, like briefly reintroducing mm -hmm. their major plot points, right? And the relationships with each other whenever they come back in. Yeah. And it, it, like I noticed that at different points throughout different chapters, I would write down like, well, what about this or where is this? And then within the next couple mm -hmm. pages, it would be answered. And I was like, oh, OK, thank you. Oh, <laughs> like, <nice>. did, like <laughs> you know, wondering, do, do they still have Tom's cloak? Um, mm. And like crap like that. So it was it was nice. It definitely, you know, it, it's about 200 pages in the edition that I have. And it, it didn't oh, feel wow. like 200 pages compared to some other books I've read that definitely feel like the 200 <laughs> pages. 
Yeah, I was shocked because it almost feels written by almost like another author, Jordan. Mm. Um, the first book had stilted dialogue, I think, or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Characters didn't feel always like characters. They felt like they were necessary for moving the plot along, but they didn't feel like mm-hmm. individual selves. And it's almost shocking because this matches the show a little better. So I can see that they got a lot of their inspiration yeah. for character dynamics from later books. Because the first one just, I don't know, it feels more like a vehicle for setting up a universe, but it didn't really focus on characters, whereas this one, I'm almost surprised because some characters have personalities that I didn't realize they had. Like, land feels mm. very different than the first book. Like, mm-hmm. characters shift, or they just feel a lot more fleshed out. Yeah. Um, we're getting a lot of, like, um, a lot of thought processes behind characters we never got to see before, so it's like, I don't know, it, it really does feel like it's written by someone else, or if it is Jordan, he's, like, feeling a lot more comfortable in this territory, and he's, like, yeah. actually, he's doing a lot more this time around. I wonder if that's, to me, as you said, that comes back to that feeling uh, that we sort of had of the eye of the world is feeling kind of first drafty. And I think part, part, or, you know, early drafty. And part of that, I think, was that he he sort of found a lot of the characters and story arcs by the end of the story or started to, but didn't really maybe go back and write that all in to the early stuff with the show kind of did the work of. But yeah, I, I agree. It feels like there's a lot more confidence. There's a lot more. Maybe maybe, maybe um, Harriet played a larger role in the editing of this one from early on because it does feel more tighter, more uh, um, briskly edited. We get what we need and we get a lot, but it's a lot contained within 200 pages. Um, I mean, because there is there is a lot of event here mm-hmm. uh, compared to yeah what we got in the, those early Shire chapters. Yeah, and I was um, definitely still kind of feeling a little bit overwhelmed with lore. Uh, mm, in some yeah. of these chapters compared to the first book where there were, were there were parts that was just like, okay, that was like 10 pages of straight up lore dump and I'm overwhelmed and I'm not going to remember any of that. And it, it <laughs> kind of was happening again. Like in chapter four, they start introducing, they start talking about like the sea folk and how they have a chosen one. And here's 15 words that uh, I'm yeah, just going to yeah. throw at you and hope that you remember to look up. And so it was, there were definitely parts where I was like, okay, another huge thing that maybe will mm-hmm. flush itself out later. I do kind of like the way that uh, we're once again getting the sense that there's a lot more going on in the world. Mm-hmm. But we now have characters who, when they hear that information, a lot of them have context for it and know what it might mean, especially when it's like the Aes Sedai talking about the political events going on, about the false dragons, about Amoth Plain, about the fact that, oh, we get hit that a couple times that some invaders have landed possibly possibly uh, that there's rumors of things going on at um near Toman's head I think I think it is and there's also prophecies around that and there's also dreams that Rand is having so everyone is feeling some connection there and maybe that's related to uh what we saw at the, the very last scene of the la- of the finale episode of season 1 we saw like a landing of 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 uh, like outland invaders at Almuth Plain and that didn't really tell us anything about them but here we're we're getting them in the background um, and there is a lot, uh, though, but these aren't, you know, these aren't just two rivers characters who don't know anything about the outside world necessarily. They, they, they're they able to put a little more context to it. And, and we as readers, I feel like, have a lot more context for a lot of it, even if there is still some of that lore stuff and some of the things like um, um, it is... <laughs> Uh, maybe a little bit funny, I thought, of how much time the Trollocs must have... Okay, so, so the Trollocs and the Fades massacre everyone in that scene brutally, and grab the horn, and then stop to cover the walls <laughs> in writing. And I'm just, and I'm yeah. just picture, picturing yeah. them like in blood, you know, so that stuff dries quick and you've got to keep getting more blood out of the bodies of the victims. And like... E- <laughs> Leaving like extensive uh, 
I, I have really laughed at the of the obscenities thing, and this isn't just a Jordan a Jordan thing of like where where well, all these uh vul- like the most vulgar and 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 obs- obscenities that were unspeakable and, and Rand couldn't even like process. And every every time, not just Jordan, every time I ever read something like that in a story, it's especially like you know 1900 stories. I feel like that was really common. I would just be like, okay, but what are they saying? Like, what could possibly, <laughs> what could be so uh like? Are, are they just like? crass like rude sex jokes or, or i always i always think of uh apolo- apologies for uh a br- brief r-rated um moment coming up for uh, any any sensitive listeners skip ahead 30 seconds but i always think of um i uh, that scene in the exorcist uh where pazuzu possessing reagan is like your mother sucks cocks in hell and, and, and everybody just everybody just reacting like it's the most awful thing that had ever happened and i just burst out laughing i think i was like 18 yeah. or 19 when i saw the exorcist for the first time <laughs> and whatever power i think that that maybe has for repressed catholics in the in the 70s and early 80s it just has <laughs> had none for me at the time i saw that movie to where it was just comical and that's kind of what i was thinking of with whatever whatever the trollocs are are writing here beyond uh, um a bunch of beyond this very this song that we, that we get in there and which is sort of a prophecy daughter of the night walking again hints of another character the, some people think some of the Aes Sedai think it might be Lanfear who was mm-hmm. uh, the uh, original lover of um, of Luce Theron the, the dragon before she became one of the Forsaken and joined the Dark One side and then uh, that, that sort of put an end to the relationship it was kind of uh, not, not, not chill with Luz uh, who didn't want to go along I just um, have I just have this picture of like this fade who's like missed his calling as like some scribe or something he's like he's like writing it out why all the trollocs are just like butchering everyone and he's like living his best life just like kind of scrolling along yep. this like whole whole paragraph of text on the wall it's like they will find this and respect my art form here he's like um what's the what's the elf's name from the the claymation Rudolph? he's like Hermie that just wants to be yes. a dentist yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like over here just like you'll love me one day mom it's like writing his heart on the wall <laughs> Oh. It's not not a bad poem either. It's a very Tolkien-esque that it lasts mm-hmm. in in my digital copy for uh, two and a half pages of this uh, this fade or trollock uh, poem uh, of doom here. The blood feeds blood, blood calls blood. Uh, God, there there is a lot of blood in in these chapters, yeah. um, which I guess happened at the two rivers too. But yeah, by by the time. Things amp up here with the carnage of the dungeon, which was pretty, you know, a lot, a lot of carnage at the end of mm-hmm. the season one finale, too. But that's only like the beginning for by the end of these chapters, we're in full blown horror territory, I felt like when we got to the village, like following Padden Fane and the tra- and the Trollock and Fade's trail of destruction, um, culminating in we they I forget, do they find a mass grave or like everybody in the village is missing, right? But Rand comes comes in and is experiencing like these flashing, looping memories that mm-hmm. felt like something uh, like very much out of horror fiction where he's like looping through the scene of, of a family sitting down for dinner uh, that then something ha- comes to the door and is pounding and then the scene starts over and gets progressively darker and creepier each time. And then all of that culminating with uh, they find um, basically a crucified fade, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Like uh, out on the tree 
outside. Um, and uh, I, I don't know what it, what did what did you all make of that? Because I don't want to give spoilers that I know away for for you talking about this. So what what did, what did, what meaning did you take from these last bunch of chapters about the the, the great hunt party going out after the horn with stolen? So I enjoyed how they did the the Rand like seeing the flash thing and just being like blink and then you know here's the next scene and mm-hmm. like I'm gonna give you this word that means you need to to see this more graphic. But it was interesting that. Uh, as the scenes kept progressing, they kept mentioning like flies and flies was such a huge mm, part yeah. of it. And it just reminded me so much of Amityville where there's the flies all over the windowsills and like that's how they know that it's like the demons and all that. And so mm-hmm. I was like, is that like, are flies like a religious thing I didn't know about? <laughs> like showing decay using flies as a way to indicate that. Um, but they kept saying over and over like, you know, there's Trollocs and Fades and then worse. And like, oh, we mm-hmm. can't forget there's Trollocs and Fades, but then worse. And I was like, <laughs> But what's the worst? Like, I don't <laughs> I don't know what that means. You introduce, like, the flying thing in the first couple chapters of the first book and then never brought that back. Is that the right, worst? Right, yeah. I, like, I, I was so... I'm still surprised. Like, I totally thought that, that the drag car was going to play a bigger role in book one. And I'm just like, well, I guess that never happened, despite all the, yeah. the foreshadowing yet. <laughs> that was uh, the like, first draft something, yeah. But are they yeah. referring to... The Forsaken, though, because the Forsaken are always listed as, like, the thing worse than, Oh, maybe. So are they hinting that, like, yeah, are they hinting that, like, there's a Forsaken with them? Because, you know, they've skinned alive a couple different people, and then they crucified a Fade, and it's like, oh, Mm. shit, well, I thought the Fades were kind of in charge, as far as we knew, of, like, these individual groups of Trollocs. So if someone's fucking over a Fade, then either the Trollocs are having their own uprising, or, like, there's something else going on. Well, they, they soft retconned in the female, uh, like the woman who Maureen is like experiencing this in chapter like four or five, where she's like the poetry written on the walls mentions uh, uh-huh. Forsaken that is potentially the most powerful, but it what she like kept her abilities hidden so that she wouldn't be listed as the most powerful. So it's like a soft retcon of like um, the two from last the last book being the most powerful. They've brought they've introduced this. Oh no, woman. they I don't I don't think they I don't think they were meant to be the most. They were powerful. the they're the top two. I, I think I remember. Remember them saying these were like his top two forsaken or whatever, like the next in line in the power structure. Oh no, no, they. Oh really? Oh okay. I thought they were the ones who were down at the bottom of the totem pole because they got stuck like on the far edge of prison. No, that's how they want to like get like, out of the prison. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, may- maybe. Uh, with with uh, well, they do mention here Ishmael being or Ish- Ishmael being the the number one, right? Maybe the only one that's more powerful than Lanfear. Um, yeah. But unclear, maybe because yeah, like you said, she was maybe hiding her true abilities. So maybe maybe she was. So that's my assumption Darn. is that she's the one now roaming around, or or we're going to be mm. they're foreshadowing her introduction to this book or coming up to something that did we have um so yeah i guess on the subject of dark friends in the prologue with with this figure boars here mm-hmm. did we learn am i right did we learn by the end that it's that it's a white cloak uh that that, that Bor, boars is 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 that the reveal um at the end of it the getting these instructions from balsamon and everything um they strongly, especially we get, with, uh, well, it's because they introduce which chapter is it a few after where they the, they mention the white cloaks and you get a perspective from them. He has a name similar to yeah, Bors, yeah. so my assumption was that Oh, what, Lord Bornhold, Lord Bornhold, Lord Commander. Bornhold, yeah, yeah, maybe that's, I was mix, mixing that up. Yeah, because I was going to say, if that's what they were going for, I missed that. <laughs> they were 
were trying to say that Boris was. Oh, they uh, they, they, they talk about um, yeah, and and they talk the the white cloaks, the ones that we see are talk. They mention Valda, right? Who is mm-hmm. prominently featured in season one of the show, and Valda was like left outside, um, Camelin, like outside uh, the wall to keep an eye on Morgazen there. But um, um, whoever is talking about him wouldn't be surprised if Valda marches, like ignores the order and like invades the city or marches on Tarvalin itself or something, because Valda's one of the questioners. And here we get more hints of yeah, the, even even other white cloaks are really not fond of. Of, of the questioners and their methods and their uh, their their torturing and their con- you know being convinced they, they they decide people are guilty before um, they even start their inquisitions. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm forgetting offhand which white cloaks perspective. Oh, here we got. I, I, yeah, it was actually a really clever way of presenting who it was because it's in the last paragraph. So he's keeping his identity uh-huh. to the whole the whole prologue. We're talking about Boris again. Yeah, going back to what you were asking about his reveal and like who he's a part of. Like mm-hmm. they, I really did because we we didn't really talk about that prologue very much, but the structuring was very clever. The whole thing about kind of the identity and revealing and kind of I like that narrative of him like guessing who everyone was and kind mm-hmm. of keeping his identity hidden and then kind of the vulnerability there. But at the end, that's when they actually do the reveal because like he's let out they're all let out into their own back to their own i guess it's like a portal and they're kind of taken back to where the location they were summoned from and then the very last chapter it says uh remembering the commands given to him by beelzeman fingered the golden yes sun okay. yeah. on the breast of the white cloak and the red shepherd's mm. crook behind the sun so they've kind of also given him his which like rank he is and like what like department pretty much since if he has right. the, oh. if he has the shepherd's crook that means he's a yeah, uh, a question, questioner. What are they? Yeah, question. which we do, which we which we didn't learn till later in these chapters. Yeah, so that's that's a good good call going back on. Yeah, so that yeah. is like slowly giving those clues out. Um, totally missed and we that. Had, <laughs> um, so that could be Valda or someone with Valda for all we know at this point. And I genuinely don't remember <laughs> if, <laughs> uh, if 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 Valda is a dark friend. But we're now learning that it's one one of the questioners, um, if nothing else. Which may, maybe that's why. Season one of the show gave Valda and the questioners so much prominence and, and made them the focus of the, the White Cloaks there because that was going to be more in the Great Hunt and they wanted to skip some of those other characters. Um, and and I'm, I'm starting to see why they took the shortcut with Poddenfane and, and never having Poddenfane imprisoned because, you know, he gets broken out anyway. And if we don't need him to... like. I think the structure of the beginning of the book here works um, pretty well for me in The Great Hunt, but I can see why, given how they're trying to rush through the show, why they would have did the change that they did. Other than the fake killing Loyal, who is definitely not going to be dead, I don't... That just felt, you know, there were too many... We talked about the, the number of fake deaths and, and trying to get you to think people are dead. Like, there's no way that he, he's gone. He's already playing, like, a major character role here in The Great Hunt. Wait, uh, quick, quick question. Are we discussing... Oh, sure. Are we discussing anything related to the show and spoilers around that or are we doing a separation now where we don't bring up the show how are we um, handling it to- i think it's totally okay to spoil the season of the show the last yeah, season so we get the context that we're yeah, going to be talking yeah. about stuff that's already happened in the show as well but we're only talking about okay yeah i just wanted to confirm because i didn't yeah, want to can, say anything I about the show it. if we were separate okay I, it was just people who like hadn't had the chance to watch a given episode yet and things like that who, who mentioned it i think as long as we're coordinating them off into se- separate um you know gotcha. sequential in, uh, well, in mind, anyway but to that to that point i 
I agree with you. I was thinking about that a lot with like what they took and what they did. It makes a lot more sense not reading mm-hmm. this. But I also still think they screwed up the horn because you can't enter like with the book. There's enough separation of time where it's like they get it as like mm. the fine. It's the item they receive from like winning the boss battle, and then the next <laughs> book is when it's like stolen. But it, in the show, it doesn't work at all because in the chaos of the moment, they introduce this horn, and then it's automatically stolen like two seconds later. So there's uh-huh. you can't just introduce such a powerful item and have it stolen. It's too quick of a a turn but i agree that like not imprisoning him isn't necessary because you can kind of you can expedite that process um but you also don't get a lot of his like back like i don't know you lose a lot of the nuance by cutting all of that out though because i think there is yeah some some fun to like the mystery of his character whereas like in the show there he's just like flaunting things like his personality around and kind of just like larger than life and you don't get that nuance of like um the characters from like the two rivers having sympathy for him and like mm-hmm. they still think they, oh, they yeah, still yeah. have like they, they still care about him as a person even though he's like really corrupt like not, yeah not Gwen's even, known, known yeah. him since she was a little girl right that's like yeah yeah so there's i think there's something compelling there that you completely lose in the show is like Egwene is like tr- giving him some humanity which makes him more three-dimensional and then there's this whole breakout and i love the moment when there's like the dark shadow coming up to him and then he's like oh i'm you know, like pretty much like ready to be released so there's a lot of foreshadowing that leads up to that nicely mm. and like the ominous vibes building there that they don't really have um in the show version well they kind of ruined faldara in the show yeah because they made <laughs> they, they changed made, everything yeah they made agamar <laughs> and his sister both really fucking annoying and then they made and dead and dead <laughs> yeah <laughs> the most and important so, part they're not alive like they, they got rid of this whole like basically the whole beginning of you know well he's in the dungeon in faldara and then you're not sure if the prison guards were actually working for the dark one and helped them break out or mm. what because then that's the burial that you're that you reference Caleb is that they end up burying them and I think Rand is like looking and and is it loyal that explains to him or Lan or someone that like yeah yeah, they just put the bodies right in the ground that's they're burying those guys they do that that mother speech from season one that I was like I don't remember this in the eye of the world but that was apparently another great hunt thing yeah yeah so there's there's like by doing what they did to Pat and Fane they just kind of took Faldar and were like man fuck it you know like we'll put this (laughs) huge amazing environment with these really complex characters but not actually do anything with any of them maybe uh, um the uh i i i was on the fence speaking speaking of like faldara um i always i i always just kind of sigh whenever we get into the how much time is going to be spent on 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 like gender politics humor and all the the foibles of the the you know the women's quarter rules and men and like how how they're supposed to interact and all that i did kind of find some of these passages funny though or at least amu- amusing with the stuff that came around there and like the n- amount of time that we uh that is dedicated to yeah that element of, of faldara where uh and, and where where the two rivers uh teens and rand especially are like embarrassed by how open everybody is about about nudity and the baths and all that and and how funny they find these outlanders but they also think that they're all kind of like prince, princes and lords uh mm-hmm. be, because of um i guess in rand's case his name being uh being a noble one and the fact that they're with the Aes Sedai and that that, that is another thing that the show has changed so fundamentally that like Faldara are like the biggest Aes Sedai fans on the face of the earth they're like oh thank god the Aes Sedai are here it's amazing to have you please mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> um Amarlin, like, please stay more <laughs> Yeah, or <laughs> it's the exact opposite with Egomar in, in the show, or it's just like, get the fuck out of here. We can we can deal with our own border thing. But to to that point, though, like what, you, what you're talking about with the... So I think that's a huge recurring theme of these chapters, and some of it is humorous, but 
a lot of it has aged so poorly with the extra emphasis yeah. this book around on gen mm-hmm. his gender politics are so binary and it's so cringy because it's like it's yeah it's the identity of this world and it's aging poorly very quickly over time it's like uh i don't i'm still trying to figure out how i feel about the whole segregation of like the magic being on like the women yes. and men feels so not nuanced yes. at all like he's not exploring any of the, like it's such a major part and he barely goes into exploring any of that and he has to have like yes yeah he has to know somebody who's like trans or in his lifetime or just like like well non-gender not as, I, I don't like, think he had to i i know a lot of people today who don't think they know any any trans or non-binary people even though they probably do they just like are not out to them or like or, nobody or like that wasn't that, gender that conforming at shelter. all though i mean i guess it was a different time period but it's just like hard to fathom that now it's like i feel like now he, he lived in in more. texas in the eight in the 80s you know oh. like uh and not in like austin texas actually oh there, there is something i did want to say about the forward when we get to that or at least i think he was but but, but on what you're saying dan like i totally agree we, we should talk more about that how i just wanted to shout out before i forgot it mm-hmm. the i am i remember now i'm now recalling how immediately i fell in love with varon as a character the bookwormy uh, brown eyes that figures everything out yeah radigas uh, for Yes, yes, for every reason, but also partly because of one of her, the first things that happens with her in the scene with uh, with Rand being presented before before Swan Sanche, the Amarlin seat, and Moraine and Varen, who are the only three Aes Sedai who are in on the fact that he's the that I think they think he's the Dragon Reborn. Um, Moraine's doing her whole thing again. I can't teach you, Rand. You got to go off and figure this out on your own. Anybody who could teach you died three thousand years ago. A bird cannot teach. Uh, oh, what is, she, what is it? She said, "Yeah, no, I said I can teach you to touch Sayadeen any more than you could learn to touch Sayadar." A bird cannot teach a fish to fly, nor uh, a fish yeah. teach a bird to swim. And then Varen immediately pops in, speaking exactly what was on my mind at that point. I've always thought that was a very bad saying, Varen said suddenly. There are birds that dive and swim, and in the sea of storms are fish that fly, with long long fins that stretch out as wide as you're out. So and then she kind of trails off as like swans giving her a look. Um, but I, I love that she's there to voice that and to point and to whether or not Jordan, how, I don't know how aware, you know, Jordan is of it, any of this that is at least there to give that whole, this is that, like, you're, you're treating this as like a really, really hard binary and totally fundamentally different things. Maybe that's not the case necessarily. Like, I don't know um, to what extent that'll be true of the magic of Saidin and Saidar itself, but you, at least for the gender metaphor, have Varadin here saying, yeah, there, there's a lot more, these are not like, you know, necessarily laws of the universe, like even, even as far as that saying goes. Yeah, a great character and I think a nice foil for the, them throughout all this, mm-hmm. um, around both the gender politics and just the it's a humorous shift of like they're so on edge and she could care less Mm -hmm. but she's also more she's also more observant and humorous than Moraine gives her credit for it so I I appreciate Mm -hmm. I appreciate kind of just the how her character allows more exploration Mm -hmm. of Moraine and her intention well and Moraine even says that isn't that one of her like internal monologue things like she makes a note or I made a note calling her Radagast (laughs) in my notes and then because Moraine thinks that like um she knows nothing about like the outside world or like what's going on. Like yeah, she's so yeah. focused on her own little thing. And then later on she's like, Maybe she does pay attention. It's like, <laughs> fuck you, Moraine, you don't know anything either. But I, I wrote down like as far as the whole like separation of, you know, male, female and all that, 
I wrote down to stop being fucking gross about things. Cause there's a quote where they're talking about the, the different, um, I think they're talking to Rand and I don't remember who says it, but someone says greens like to bond them young when talking oh, about, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. It gets mortars. really questionable like, the way they ew. describe the green. Yeah. The greens like, are so yeah. gross. And, yeah. I, it's like I cattle wonder. almost. <laughs> That's gross. Yeah. And, and certainly the show introduced did not introduce them in that light because we're seeing we, yeah. we meet a bunch of green Aes Sedai early on. They're among the first Aes Sedai we meet other than Moraine. Oh, oh, we do get introduced to Alana here, though way too briefly for my liking because I really like Alana also. And she mm-hmm. has very little time here compared to what she got in the, in the show. Um, but I always feel like you have to take a grain of salt. The the Ajas like are really bitter towards each other in a lot of cases. Like we're seeing here, there's like really intense rivalry and they have these real intense stereotypes of each other and beliefs about um, what the others are like and then real bitter, bitter rivalry between like the red and the blue. But even even the fact that Moraine, who, you know, is not like, um, she doesn't seem like the worst Aes Sedai, or maybe not the most closed-minded one because she's open to the stuff about the prophecy and, er- and everything. But yeah, even she is, you know, she's just dismissing the Browns out of hand as a joke. And, and you know, they're just there, those bookworms, like who never who never want to leave the tower unless it's to get some books. And yeah, like, like you know, like, which obviously you would think like in a world where knowledge is gradually being lost and everything is decaying and powers are fading and the dark one is getting stronger as they are getting weaker maybe there's a lot of value to what the browns are doing there and trying to find and preserve and and study as much as they can um which speaking of is this the first place we get all these like really explicit things about the Aes Sedai admitting among themselves yeah their numbers are dwindling the halls of the tower are feeling emptier and emptier all the time they're they're hardly able to find anyone to recruit anymore so beyond the fact that they're that people are weaker in the power and they're and they're not finding many powerful Aes new recruits other than um the characters we know and Elaine who we learned here Elaine Trakand uh, Morgay the you know the the daughter heir of Andor is very very powerful it seems um that yeah, in general, the power is dwindling, and there are fewer and fewer of them, and they're bitterly fighting amongst each other. To mm-hmm. where there's a lot of worry here about that the red might be teaming up with the green to make a power play against um, the blue, because they see even though Swan is not of an Aja anymore, they see her as blue Aja and allied with the blue, and, and all all this tower politics stuff that we're getting into here. Yeah, well, they um, said because there were two. Uh, Amarillin seats before that had been removed because they were like abusing their power and both of mm-hmm. them were red replaced by blue yeah. and so it's like oh okay that's why they all kind of hate each other I guess but I just the the last thing I want to say about I didn't know if this stuck out to anyone but the whole thing about like oh a man in the the women's thing with a knife yeah. with a sword <laughs> it just kept reminding me of that video of they're like at a picnic and the lady like says to the toddler like what do you have and he's like a knife and runs away like (laughs) that just felt so much like this whole setting because they were like oh not only is it a man but he has a sword oh it's like what the fuck like you know feldara how many of them have fucking swords like mm-hmm. they, their job they is to protect up, right? everyone, right? Yeah, I think it's the fact that he's waving it about, maybe that comes at the the one point. Because or maybe is it Rand thinking about how? Yeah, like most of the Shinarans walk around with swords all the time. No, oh my God. just, oh, but just yeah, him sp- even. Oh, sorry, what were you answering? Oh, I just happened to come across Kajin saying the the women have their own ways thing. He's like, 
they set the rules for the women's apartments uh, and we abide by them even when they are foolish and like at the extreme end of the eye rolly just like well the, you know it's like all the men think that we, that women are uh, you know just got that you got you got to just like keep your distance because they're you know women women be crazy and then all the women have their thing going on where oh men, men be wool-headed idiots and you just got to like stubbornly it's just like it is it is a lot of time being dedicated to this um now it just it just yeah. feels like I know lots of people hold this mindset today still, but it's so it's so essentialist and it's so um, it, it it gets tedious really quickly. And even though, yeah, I thought yeah, because of- it, and it's on both sides too. Because like to your point, she's like, but she'll never housebreak land. Was like on the same page of the the quote you had just said. It was like both sides are just like completely on that binary spectrum of just like yeah, it's just it kind of tiring the black and white kind of like gender politics there and how they view things. It's basically '90s sitcom gender politics right it's like king of queens or or, mm-hmm. or, or like a like style thing where 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 uh where where women are the sm- are smart but but catty and bitter and uh and unpredictable and men are just huge dumb idiots uh who who have to be like cajoled and controlled and cannot be counted on for everything which which does that thing of like relieving men of any responsibility for for having to be better for having to be good fathers or good husbands because oh they're just morons and you can't trust them with anything and then also reinforces all these uh, stereotypes about women as being like conniving or manipulative or uh, or or you know trying to like like emotionally manip- manipulate and and control the way things go here all of which gets embodied here in such a literal way with the Aes Sedai as like the world manipulators right and then like mm-hmm. uh, um, playing out in the assumptions of, of the teens I, I don't know I, I hope we get I hope that gets developed into something more complex or that we get past it soon because um, well, it will be tedious if we what is the the equivalent then like what are, what are the Aes Sedai supposed to be betraying like because I'm trying to figure out how they fit into this equation because like I have a note from like chapter 7 about like the Aes Sedai just sounding so horny and it's very like different than like the normal <laughs> binary they have set up like they, every time like Rand interacts with one of them they're like ooh I'm surprised they're not taken yet or if I was like younger or like oh don't let the green like look up like don't let them see you because they'll bond mm. they like bonding young and they'll like jump right on top of you so it's like i found that kind of strange that every time they interact with Rand, they're all just like oh this guy's really hot like i if i was like younger i could like could have hooked up with you or like oh you're the same height as me <laughs> like this, this is a match <laughs> made in heaven <laughs> i was like dying at that one <laughs> It just it's odd because they don't they don't have that in the show at all. So it's just like, oh, wow, the Moraine wasn't like this in the first book. But all the other eyes that I seemed like very horny for Rand. And it's so weird because like Rand's just supposed to be a tall ginger. Like mm-hmm. I have red hair. I have been surrounded by other people with red hair, including dudes. And they are not treated like, <laughs> like this. <laughs> the general public is not lusting after <laughs> lanky ginger men. Like that's uh... just it just doesn't. It depends. Okay. It, it mostly depends. I, but being my, a ginger, I get sent definitely... a lot of bullshit. <laughs> and it's just like, oh. this just, it feels weird. And it also is like, I think they're mm. just, I think he's just trying to continue to make it obvious that Rand is different. And it's like, you can do that without making him like a sex doll. Like, you don't have to make all of these people <laughs> obsessed with him. Also because they still read so young. And so to mm. me, they're not like, you know, 18, 19, whatever. This is like grown ass women making weird comments to like a 15 year old boy because that's how they act. And so 
it's just hard. Yeah. Like, that's what really skeeved me out even more about saying, like, well, green's like I'm young. I was like, yeah. Like, can we not do well, this? That's a good question. Like, point for, uh, I was wondering, is this a year? I was trying to figure out the, the time span. Has this been a year since oh. Two Rivers? No, uh, like three weeks. Oh, oh, since Two Rivers. Oh, um, Like the first book, like, I when they I first introduced. Say. So they were, like, what, 15 in that book? So they are, like, 16 I, or 17 now? No, no, they were night. The It was... um. Ran the the three the three who are the same age Ran Matt and Perrin they were nineteen and uh, in the and show the queen, remember they were younger no no though. in the show they're in their twenties I think right and uh, and but but Ran, Ran Matt and Perrin are nineteen when we start out and Egwene is seventeen I think I'm not positive I think all the events of the Eye of the World took less than six months I want to say um, I don't think it's been even close to a year well Egwene's talking about um, the next I couldn't figure out the time because she had dropped the biggest hint on time and I couldn't figure out from the context. She was like talking about the next. Um, oh, what is their bell tie? Is that the the name Beltine. of it? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, is that coming around again soon? Well, she's talking about the next bell tie and like that, like Sunday in mm-hmm. uh, being like away from the two rivers and all that. So I was like trying to figure out if she meant it was like coming up and she's gonna miss it because they're heading off yeah. and like for ice and eye training. So I was trying to gather from that those sentences, and I think chapter I... eight. Um, okay. We had um, belt Um Here we go. Delivery uh, made many of the dresses. Any one of them would shine at Sunday or at Beltine. She remembered. She sighed, remembering that she would be in Tarvalin for the next Sunday, not Emmons Field. Um, I don't think it gives. It doesn't look like it gives us a sense of time. But I want to say, I my impression is this is the same spring, like the same season um, as. The eye of the world started in because we started Beltine is like to mark the end of winter, beginning of spring, um, but it was still very snow covered and everything was hanging around too late. And then we have here descriptions of how with um with Balsamon blown up um with what Rand did, now suddenly spring is coming back in and uh, like uh, around the blight, like the lands are blooming in Faldara and Shyanara, and like spring is happening properly, but it's it's late now. Like we're getting into summer now, I think. Like it's all, but it's it's like catching up. For the lost months, so, yeah, I think we're maybe I think we're maybe in mid to late summer of the same year that we started but out. What is in spring? But if you read a sentence further, what does Sunday represent here? Because if you read the next one, she's like, "From the little Marine had told her of the novice training, almost nothing. Mm-hmm. She expected she might not be home for bell time in spring or even the Sunday after that." So like, it sounds like um, it's it sounds like up. it's a sp- it, oh Sunday is uh, the midsummer festival for them feast day. Okay, hey, okay. Yeah. she's so, like she might not be home for Beltine in the spring, implying that the spring was coming up. But they're in late spring yeah, yeah. already. There's like a little confusion there, so I didn't know if a, a good time span. I, had I think passed they're already. in summer. Okay. Um, with with yeah, late spring. Um, I, I did uh, bef- before leaving it. I did want to hitch on. You were talking about the emotional immaturity of the characters, mm-hmm. Kelia, and the extent to which they still feel like largely fifteen year olds. I think that really came through. In in my uh, my least favorite plot thread here, which feels very obligatory of of Rand yelling at his friends to try and protect protect them. And then within like a chapter or two, he regrets that and is like, well, we're traveling together anyway. I don't need to drive them away for their own protection. But I was thinking a lot about you as we were reading through these, like, you know, Rand still hiding being the dr- being or being able to channel from them and, and trying to push them away. And now they're being all, even though he tried, he made a sincere apology, but they're, but Matt and Perrin are being all sulky because he was mean, mean to them. And they think he's acting like a high, you know, hoity-toity lord, since that's how a lot of the Shinars are treating them. Not really a fan of any of this. Uh, at least it doesn't take up too much time but i'm just like okay get get back to the part where they're treating each other nicely again and being friends because we've mm-hmm. had so little time of them 
acting like genuine friends who love each other. And the show has certainly give, gotten us to that a lot faster of them remembering that for each other. And, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm longing for those scenes of like even even dagger sick Matt of, uh, of, of him and Rand being like, you know, really kind to each other in, in those moments. And, and that sense of the two rivers character solidarity, which I, we mostly get here in hints from maybe Nynaeve more than anybody mm-hmm. and her decisions about how she's going to be able to look out for all of them at this point as she's going off to the tower. Um, yeah, I wrote down like they're still fucking annoying. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's my summation of the first 10 chapters is that they're all still so fucking annoying. Because like they even he had to throw it in there at least fucking once where one of the boys says like, oh, Rand is so much better with girls. It's like, are you yep, shitting yep, me? Yeah, the, the like, yep, is he back. though? Is he though? Because he's just terrible <laughs> with everyone. But yeah, the whole thing of like him trying to say horrible things to them to push them away and then mm. being he's like, why won't they let me apologize? And I was like, because you're still asking <sighs> more of them. It's not their responsibility to forgive you for being a dick. Like they don't put then also like, like yeah. just the whole thing of like every time that he rode his horse back to be with Matt and Perrin, they'd ride faster. And I was like, fuck you guys. Mm-hmm. Come on, the world is ending. Get over your bullshit. <laughs> It's like every YA fantasy, right? Like, like oh we always God. have. To, I, I feel like the Harry Potter crew went through this so many times mm-hmm. of, the, of giving the other the cold shoulder. Um, it's just so real, stupid. Yeah, it, it it does feel like very adolescent, very um, like just suddenly overcome with. Come on, you've known each other all your lives. Like, learn 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 to deal with this stuff. Put it on the table. Yeah, uh, there, and... there are. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to. I do want to give Jordan credit because this he finally made me understood why everyone gets pissed at the Aes Sedai in the first book, or why so many people distrust them or dislike them. I genuinely mm-hmm. did not like the Aes Sedai a lot in some of these chapters. I was mm-hmm. really yeah. getting annoyed. So it just made me understand his perspective a little clear. Because in the first book, I don't think it clicked, but I think in chapter seven or eight, I finally understood why Rand is like so annoyed. It's like he literally just wants to be like a sheep farmer, and they have all all these layers of mm. politics and customs and manners and things they need him to do and they're trying to throw him in all this and i was genuinely getting frustrated along with him because it's like everyone's got a plan mm. for him or what they want him to do and they they keep bringing him in they keep forcing him to do things and he i think he recognizes that he's a pretty simple dude who's not the smartest guy he doesn't yeah. have like he doesn't have high expectations for what he wants to do so i can see that being very frustrating someone who just wants to be a farmer where you keep getting thrust into these sequences where people expect things from you or want you to act a certain way i found that whole uh sort of interrogation like when he's presented to the amerlin seat um or amerlin i you 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 really feel the bug under the microscope feeling uh, yeah like i would he was gonna keep it i loved i do think they've been doing the magic systems of the world much better this book than the first book because i love how they describe the void and how he channels that and Mm. i really got i finally understood like his whole like switching personality because i think jordan describes it a lot better than this one like the void Mm. just gives him this sense of clarity and they like I don't think the first book completely like whenever he switched personality, it was very hard to understand. And maybe that was intentional because they didn't want it to be completely making sense to the reader at the time. Like when he's climbing yeah, on the mass yeah. on the boat, it was kind of bizarre, like he was being possessed. And this one, it makes so much more sense because it's almost like he's drunk. It's like he can pull out mm. like it's a it's a great if you're like anxious or anxiety ridden. It's a great way of just filling like you have this void and you can just drop emotions in there. And the way he describes them mm-hmm. like floating off was like and- 
a really cool ability. Yeah, it's like he's he's almost high on his abilities or whatever. And it's like it's great for like scenes like this where he's under a lot of pressure. You can just go to the void. And I thought that was really well described and like made a lot of sense why he was pulling from that and everything. And I don't know, it, it fleshed out Rand's character a little more than I think most of the first book. I actually sort of had sympathy for him for the first time. Yeah, I really liked. I agree with you about the void because I don't know that I fully got it in the first book. But mm-hmm. what really stuck out to me is when he's using it when um he's seeing really horrific things. So when he's going into the dungeon yeah, and they yeah. see like the heads on the table and he just starts panicking and i was thinking like okay that's traumatic as fuck for anyone <laughs> to see and so him describing going into the void was kind of like it felt kind of like this mindfulness technique like grounding but yeah. also kind of like compartmentalizing or like dissociating yeah. like he he every, this is happening to something outside of you know the void or inside the void and therefore it's separate from me and i can cope in this moment and i was like that's fucking grown <laughs> for for brand you know for like that's mm-hmm. that's like a hardcore shit to deal with and to be able to like separate yourself from the trauma that you're seeing and so it's like i did i really appreciated that i but i am I'm kind of tired of <laughs> yeah. him being <laughs> I just have to go back to like I am kind of tired of of everyone's kind of attitude towards this whole thing where like they take it so seriously and then the next minute they're like but I'm just a farm boy it's like okay well the world's still fucking ending whether you're with a sheep or not so are you gonna participate <laughs> or not it's, so I do but I agree with you about the Aes Sedai being so fucking annoying at different points especially like, well, well we get a lot of Leandra perspective right and she is just the worst like is. as much as much as the tv show like and is it um <laughs> what's Agomar's sister's name is she is that lady Amelisa or something like that Amelisa, when yeah. she goes up to her and she's like threatening her and like getting in her uh, face yeah. and I was like who and Amelisa's so you? so nice so nice and accommodating and like respectful yeah. of Aes Sedai but being treated like shit by her yeah and because yeah. she even you know at one point Moraine was like what is she up to what is she doing and then later on mm-hmm. you know she likes is bullying Amelisa it's like uh I don't know. As much as I enjoyed more of them explaining the origin story of some of the politics, I'm still just kind of like, give me more people being flayed. Give me more, you know, give give me more of the gruesome fantasy. Yeah, like, I, I appreciate that more than like the nitty gritty kind of like bullshit relationships because it just, it's making me not like more of these characters and I would prefer to enjoy the characters I'm reading about. Yeah. And, and speaking of the Horde, did anyone think he kind of, he's still toning down a little bit? Like Jordan doesn't really let loose with certain things. Like he had that really shocking description of the decapitation in the jail cell, like to your point about the trauma, Keely. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have, I he softened it a lot by having it be two strangers instead of being the two guards that Rand had met. I think it could have come full circle and been a lot more shocking or like upsetting. Oh. I don't know why he pulled back on that. There's no reason to be like, oh, these aren't the guards he recognized. I'm like, it would have had a lot more impact if it's the ones he had just talked mm. to that are kind of being like, because it was so sad. I was just thinking about these guards. It's like they've been slowly getting ir- more irritable and like being around Pat and Fane in his dark presence yeah, were like yeah. making them worse. And then they suffered such a dark fate. That was like really shocking and jarring. And then he loot, like he kind of lessens it by being like, and these are two random guards. They're not the ones that you were introduced to. And I'm like, you just kind of sort of censored your own work a little bit. Like you kind of lessened the blow. And I don't really, I don't be- know why he did that though. Aside from just like kind of mm. not fully committing to the horror of it. Kind of the opposite of what the show did and fake killing lo- loyal there. Uh, <laughs> just and, fake and kill just- everybody in the show. <laughs> Yeah. Well, if they just kill two randos, yeah. They use those two characters then later to be how 
potentially how the dark friends and the Trollocs got into. Um, are they the one? They're the same ones. Yeah, the it's the same ones. In the prison, they are. It's the, the okay, same yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, that they because yeah. then they end up dead later on, and then that's when Ingtar yeah. ends up burying them and all of that because he says like I don't know that they actually were dark friends, but yeah. so that's it. Kind of I think it's supposed to play into like why they were so irritable and crappy. It's because like they were trash people, <laughs> like they were working for the mm, dark that's one. Fair. But yeah, but there I, is that hu- that humanity given them that you mentioned that they still get a you know there's still yeah. the uncertainty. Ingtar, they were still people. Ingtar knew and like wanted to give a proper burial um and uh even though loyal says is pointing out yeah there's not really much doubt that they were that they were the ones who slew the guards at the dog gate and let the dark friends in the key yeah um uh, we do need to wrap up any any closing thoughts on, on these chapters and and on the the book so far going into the next set i wish that they would work more with perrin i'm kind of tired of mm. him just having yellow eyes and being sulky like they they had so many chapters of him like with the wolves and learning more about it and then it's just nothing like he's just kind of like a background character and that's kind of a bummer um mm. but then i was surprised that um what's his name bail Dalman is back the captain yeah, so of the we spray. didn't even talk about him yeah that was an interesting chapter yeah because i was reading it and i was like why do i know this name i know this fucking why do i know yeah, this name yeah. and then i had to flip back through my notes for the first book and was like that's him why is he back and so it's just i feel a little bit confused because well okay they do say why they're after him because mm-hmm. he has one of the seals so they've identified yeah. two two of the seven have been found um, He's like a, co- a collector of uh, artifacts from the Age of Legends, basically. Yeah, and so I, I assume that that's why he's being chased or like hunted down is because they know that he has that. Um, but I was also kind of confused because they say, so the Amberlin was in charge of like watching or like making sure that they had the seals, but they don't actually know where mm-hmm. any of them are. Nope. Despite that one of her titles is Watcher of the Seals. Uh, they, yeah. And so they lo- just they like... lost lost them all in the Trollock Wars, I think. Or or was it when Arter Hawk, Hawkwing oh, laid siege to, to the White Tower that like conquered the world ex- except for and killed too many Aes Sedai, I think. But also how are the seals, like what are the seals doing? How are they actually keeping him in prison i don't think we have a clue yet dan do you know <laughs> i'm trying to remember i don't call directly unfortunately okay i wasn't sure if i like missed that or if that's just something that hasn't been explained yet i, I yeah i don't think it was explained at all beyond okay. moraine like letting us know this was a seal and it's broken and these this is unbreakable material uh quendalar so yeah so I, th- I think that's about all we know at this point that they that they were kind of like focal points for the ac- actual seal somehow okay. but um but yeah a whole bunch of intrigue that he's tied up in and that's actually a pretty that was a fun fun little chapter with him like getting the jump on the dark friends who are trying to give him a letter that they're trying to get to have him mm-hmm. executed and and he or if they were dark friends i'm not even sure he's like not sure if it's like dark friends or or questioners or there seems to be multiple factions out after him maybe um i don't know there's a lot of intrigue going on um with bell doman we will find out more of what that's all about um elevated extra who i don't think had any perspective in the first <laughs> book like nothing yeah. nothing nothing from his point of view yeah i <laughs> sorry <I was> like, <laughs> sorry because you, you you had asked us uh My what bad. are final thoughts like the yeah. summer yeah the final thoughts um cut this part out but um yeah so i think overall super excited about this book compared to the first book yeah uh i like the the magic systems are a lot more fleshed out and interesting this time around i like the politics a little more um i like the isodize and kind of the the factions going on there and the new characters we're getting a lot more flavor um 
a lot more action right off the, the bat, which is awesome. So I think overall, definitely more excited going the, these first 10 chapters than I was around the eye of the world. So that's a great start. I think I am too. I, I have not made any secret that I that I think the first bunch of books get better and better um, until until four, at least. I think I think we're the best of this batch. And then everybody sort of disagrees on where things start to get a little, little sloggy past there. I mean, I still enjoyed most of the ones um, after that. Uh, when I was a kid, the only, only book I really, hated uh, like strongly disliked at least 10 so mm. um yeah so hopefully it'll just be regular improvements as, as jordan's becoming a more confident writer and novelist understanding the world better maybe the character you know if the characters start catching up with some of that more maturity and, and emotional growth that the show has <laughs> has given them so far i think that'll be the one thing but yeah lot, lots lots to um bring us in and these read i i'm stunned to learn it was 200 pages keely i i mm-hmm. read so quickly i had no sense that that was how much was going yeah we're already we're already pretty good way through the book mm-hmm. with just 10 chapters i think this one's shorter than the last book yeah it is shorter oh it, okay and uh so we we've done 10 out of what something around 50 or, or something like that mm-hmm. uh Oh yeah, only fifty chapters. Um, though we will be next week going back to five, or next episode rather, uh, with um, chapters eleven through fifteen. So if you're reading along, those are those are the ones that you'll want to go into. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, well, it's good, good to be back. Good to be doing this, getting in the flow flow of things again. Uh, we're, we're glad you're with us for this next season. This episode of Wattcast was produced by yours truly. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Caleb Wimble. Dan, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me at Twitter and Instagram under the handle PansyDan. And Keely, where can people find you? On Twitter and Instagram at Keely underscore Reed. Remember, you can find us all at Wattcast.net. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Wattcast Podcast. What? <laughs> at Wattcast Podcast. Uh, <laughs> support the show at Patreon.com slash Wattcast. Your support does mean a lot. Uh, even $2 a month at the Two Rivers tier helps us keep doing this. $5 at the Tarvalon tier gets you access to those bonus episodes, including the newest Witcher bonus episode, which was a lot of fun talking with Keely and with, and with Jerry about the Witcher, the new uh, Netflix season, and uh, the books, the games, every everything else in the Witcherverse there. You can also support us by leaving Wattcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. This helps a lot. It's the number two way we find new listeners. The number one way, of course, is to tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth means the world to us. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening, folks. And remember, this is not the end. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time, but this is an end. Farewell. Farewell.